Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. of night where we come on air and uh, we've just come back from summer break. We want to say thank you to Renee for the last three hours. She'll be back next Wednesday with The Distant Sky from 4 to 7 and Kate Kingsmill will be back the following week. Welcome to Bite Into It. We've got Lily with us. Hello. Hey. And we've got Ro. Good evening. And I'm Vanessa. It's a pleasure to be here with you. We want to say a big thank you to Ollie, Josh, Prue and Tyler for the comedy over summer. And um, that was a, a massive effort, writing an hour of comedy every week. Um, super impressed. I hope everyone enjoyed that. Bit of a nice light change from, uh, from what we bring you. Although... There's a bit of levity coming your way this evening. Tonight we hear back from the first Google News Initiative boot camp, which uh, was run in partnership with the Fishburners, who run a lot of startup boot camps, uh, in December last year. And there are a bunch of local independent media offerings who got to participate in that. And we want to talk about why we think it's um, such a cool thing and just find out a bit more about what happened. That'll be coming up later in the show. Before we get there, Ro, I believe we've got some breaking news. Oh, we've got a heap of breaking news. Um, A lot of you will have heard about a tiny capsule of death falling off the back of a truck in um, somewhere in WA. Um, So a very tiny, very highly radioactive pill literally fell off a truck. Um, Breaking news is it has been found and contained. That is incredible. I Mm -hmm. cannot believe, I really didn't expect that. No. And it happened quite quickly. That's that's impressive. Well, well done to the people, you know, trawling those long uh, kilometres with their Geiger counters. Oh, absolutely oh, crazy. I mean, could they pay you enough to do that job? Who's no. signing up for that? Probably the people who are like powder monkeys up at Caratha <laughs> in the mines. <laughs> Good for them. Someone had to do it and they stepped up. That's amazing. Is this going to break all of our metaphors? You know, we've got needle in a haystack and that kind of thing and they've actually done it. Do we have to reset this now? Like, Yes. What is the new impossible? They've clearly proven they can do this. Yes. I love it, though. Maybe it's, you know, finding a... Oh, it's like finding a radioactive capsule in the Pilbara. <laughs> Maybe that's where we need to... <laughs> yeah, it's got, a, it's got a ring to it. I absolutely love it. Anyway, well done, them. Uh, NASA is looking into why the Juno spacecraft did not take all the images it was supposed to during a flyby of Jupiter on January the 22nd. This is a technologist's nightmare, having a small window of time in which to accomplish, you know, a key goal of a certain project and uh, having a very distant, distant little piece of hardware floating off in space and something going wrong with it, a glitch they called it. But we know the extensive planning that goes into NASA missions and so this must have been quite devastating for the people involved um, but definitely a learning experience. So Juno's an orbiter that launched to Jupiter from Earth in August 2011. So this has been a long time in planning and since its arrival at Jupiter in 2016, uh, the spacecraft has made 48 flybys of the planet um, and their imager has taken pictures of the tops of clouds and uh, this... They've, they've um, attributed a bunch of unusable and noisy images to a temperature rise, possibly caused by Jupiter's magnetosphere. It just sounds so cool. Everything NASA sounds so cool, even <laughs> when things go wrong. Um, 
So it was a substantial impact. The imaging was hampered for 23 hours as opposed to the 36 minutes was affected the last time. They had this sort of temp- temperature fluctuation. And that's really challenging the, uh, mm. the pronunciation kind of idea here. <laughs> Maybe just summer break is challenging it. But <laughs> Anyhow, it's fine. Look, they're 214 images down of where they would have liked to be, but, uh, but they've learned a lot of things and things are back on track. Oh, good. Excellent. Great. Well, in terms of things getting uh, back on track, um, the federal government has revived the Australian Interactive Games Fund. So on Monday, um, they announced their new cultural policy, which is basically the restoration of the Australian Interactive Games Fund almost a decade after it was cut by the Abbott government. So this is the first um, major piece of federal funding to go into the Australian games industry since Gillard. And the new policy, which is titled Revive, and I'd say that's what we're going to start seeing on letterheads and press releases in the months to come, um, provides a whole bunch of support to creative sectors, film, TV, music, literature, but also very importantly, games. And as we all know, you know, games is a bigger industry than a lot of people realise in Australia and it affects everyone from, you know, the devs and the production houses right through to voiceover, scripting, you know, original composition, just so many different areas, you know, design and all that kind of stuff, animation. So it's a pretty exciting piece of news it's going to be interesting to see you know how it all rolls out and everything but um looking forward to seeing some aussie dollars come you know roll back into the pockets of really cool aussie creatives and workers and so important too when so many um people involved in various aspects of game design are coming out of our tertiary institutions Mm. and looking for opportunities and um with the economic challenges at the moment and australia not necessarily being that much cheaper for americans to go and produce things in you know we can't rely on triple a games out outsourcing small pieces of work here. There'll always be a component of that, I imagine. But, um, yeah, it is just so encouraging, you know, and the broader arts policy announcements that this came bundled with as well were also really encouraging. And there's a bunch of, you know, tech leanings within that as well. So, um, yeah, just really positive news. Absolutely. Big knock-on effects, ahoy, I say. Yes. Um, But, yeah, Lily, there's uh, some new digital ID on the way. Uh, Yes, it's that time of the decade again, I don't know, where we have this conversation about should we have a digital identity provider for the country and all of that. We've been having this conversation on and off since at least the 80s and, you know, having some kind of centralised ID is something that we've generally as a country, not been in favour of. Um, But yesterday, a report that was commissioned by the Albanese government was released, and this was a report and an audit into the MyGov system, which I'm sure that we all know uh, and have feelings about. And... (laughs) It uh, it recommended a few things. So one of the you know one of the things that they said was you know there are more people using MyGov than ever, and also it's still not very popular. Many of the apps that are inside it, like the Centrelink app, Medicare, all of that, aren't actually making the best use of what the MyGov platform does. And so you know we should be looking at that, and also looking at MyGov as something that needs to be overhauled, so that we can hook it into some of the other things that states have been putting in place, you know, digital driver's licenses, things like that. And, you know, tying that all together and and making something nice uh, and central and fine, I'm sure it will be completely fine. It's frustrating, isn't it, to have heard the arguments against um, a digital identity, uh, a nationwide one, a separate one from passports or other systems Mm. that we already have and other ID systems. 
um, come up yet again despite all of the arguments against it and in a, an environment where we've seen um, vast federal overreach into using people's data and getting things wrong about how they've mashed it up. For example, the RoboDebt Royal Commission going on at the moment mm -hmm. and, you know, mashing up people's, you know, Centrelink data with their income data, you know, from the ATO. You know, that's the classic case of, you know, two different branches of government going let's collaborate on a data mashup sort of project mm. and not having great outcomes and not having great rigour and boundaries around, you know, all of that. It's just, yeah, it's, it's really frustrating to hear. Not to mention the enduring public sentiment about this type of project has been consistently negative ever since they first suggested something like it. Mm. And, it and I don't feel like they've nailed the proposition to Australian people about why it's necessary. Like it, what are they failing to do with the current information that they will do better that way? Um, it, it seems to introduce more avenues for fraud, you know, the, the real... Uh, treasure chest for people to go after in terms of um, stealing people's identity. Mm. It's, uh, it's Temp concerning. tempting little honeypots yeah, there and uh, we sure don't are. have a track record of <laughs> securely holding on to said honeypots. Yeah. Winnie the Pooh's all over the place. So well, I quite like the diversification <laughs> security <laughs> aspect. Of, oh, yeah. exactly. There's more to be seen here because this is just a report with a bunch of recommendations that, you know, made, made for some splashy headlines, but there's not much substance in it yet. Mm. So... We're waiting anxiously for more detail as to what that will entail. Long may there be no substance and no forthcoming actions <laughs> on that front. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah, really, just quite interesting seeing that happen again. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You're with Bite Into It, who are back from summer break. We have Lily and Ro, and I'm Vanessa, and it's great to be with you. We also have our first guests for the year. Um, so, Fish Burners and Google News Initiative Bootcamp. Um, oh, let me let me let me go back to the start. Australia's original startup community, the Fish Burners, have wrapped their first ever 2022 Google News Initiative Startup Bootcamp, um, which was held in Australia and New Zealand at the end of last year. And what they were doing is working with 12 uh, new startup publications. Well, they weren't necessarily new, but new to this bootcamp, um, and. Uh, yeah, sort of helping them grow. So we're now joined by Fishburner's CEO, Martin Karafilis, on the phone and bootcamp participant and editor of The Defrag and founder of Lawson Media in studio, um, Christopher. So, uh, sorry, Christopher Lawson. We're really rusty. Have I mentioned we've been <laughs> off for two months? <laughs> Martin, Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, we got to speak with interim uh, CEO for Fishburners in September last year, so we're very excited to welcome you into the role and onto our show. Um, so, so can you give us a bit of a background on this Google News Initiative Bootcamp and, and when they approached you to sort of partner with them on providing this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is the first time it's been held in Australia and New Zealand. So it originally launched globally in 2020 with over 50 news media startups, uh, having already graduated from the program across uh, North America and Canada. And uh, in 2022, uh, we partnered with Google News uh, to bring um, 
this curriculum to Australia and the startups that are here. So uh, basically had a 10-week program with 12 different startups. Uh, participants received access to a curriculum based on the GNI Startups Playbook, uh, published in partnerships with leading practitioners and thinkers in the entrepreneurial space, uh, as well as coaching and guidance from us here at Fishburners on really how to establish and grow a media startup. That is, it sounds like an incredible opportunity. Um, when you picked up the program that was run with, say, the Americans, did you look at it and have to do much tweaking and go, here's, you know, here's what we need to do to make it the right fit for the Aussie market? Look, there's a little bit, there's always a little bit as you change uh, your geographical location, but it was very, very much the same. And there's probably a few learnings that come from doing things overseas and talking to different um, industries and different startups that you can actually bring over and help within the ecosystem here in Australia. And I think that's probably not just in media startups, but in startups in general and the ecosystem we have in Australia. So a key part of this opportunity is having, you know, all of the people who successfully got into the program got weekly one-on-one professional coaching and then um, the offer of ongoing quarterly coaching upon graduation, which is just such, like, I think everyone here knows how powerful that can be if you get the right coach. Mm. Could you tell us a bit about how you, you know, identified who who would be coaches who would be really um, meaningful for the participants? Yeah, for us, it's all about the value add. I think uh, at Fish Renters, we have a range, a, a large network of mentors, advisors, um, resources, tooling, investors, um, and we sort of we identify what the startups actually need and then we actually match that with the right mentors as well. So um, it's really important to understand where the startups are and, and where the founders are at in their journey and understanding what they actually need to, to be able to get to that next level. So um, those those advisors and those mentors are also a part of the complementary access to our uh, pro membership, the Fishburners Founders Hub. So there's a bunch of perks, discounts, community connections, tools, resources, um, as well as events and investor connections as well. And I think that's what Fishburners are really famous for, right? So, yeah, it's really kind of cool hearing you tap into that for this program. I was also really interested to know more about you know, you've you launched, uh, you did this boot camp 2022. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's changed between 2022 and now because that's apparently how the world works in this day and age. Um, so one of them, one of them is of course, and if you're focusing on focusing on news, um, you know, the evisceration of Twitter, and the other is of mm. course the very, uh, you, you know, the worsening prevailing macroeconomic winds or you know, however you want to refer to it, um, that were a pretty substantial turnaround from the first half of 2022. How has the program adapted and changed to such fundamental kind of shifts in the landscape? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's a pretty good question. I would say typically here in Australia we are somewhat a little bit blocked from what's happening overseas. Um, we do sort of have our own sort of economy and, and macro economy that's sort of we're running here. Um, 
But when you start to see some of those trends, you know, particularly in the media space, I think it's it's more important right now than ever to really have um, you know, a range of media startups that are coming through, just really having that sort of diversity of thought um, and really ensuring that um, we're, we're sort of... Uh, ensuring that we're not lacking diversity and representation um, and not causing any further disengagement um, with the independent and credible media. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that we sort of teach and, and work through uh, throughout the program. So, Martin, with that said, you know, how did you consider the applications to participate in the program? You know, were you looking for, a re- you know, a, a bunch of startups sort of at the same fledgling kind of stage or were you looking for some sort of diversity in that group and did you get, you know, crazy amounts of applications or in the first year, you know, was it a bit thin? You know, what was the experience like just onboarding um, the right people? Yeah, we we had a, a, an insane amount of applications and, it was one of those things that uh, obviously having an amazing partner like Google um, is always one of those things that we can actually bring a, a high-quality program to the startups that are out there. For us, it was really important to have a diverse um, mix of startups and founders um, at, at all kinds of different stages. Um, it's really a part of the Fishburners community and, and ecosystem that we've sort of created uh, and really creating more public benefit from having that diversity uh, within the ecosystem. So um, that was really important for us. And I think it's such a good news story when a massive company like Google is investing back in countries in which they operate. Uh, When I've spoken to people ahead of the show tonight and sort of said that we'd be interviewing you, a lot of them were surprised to hear that this was going on. do Google, you know, take the opportunity to talk a little bit about their motivations for um, investing in the health of independent media? Look, I think it's one of those things that it's it's important for the wider ecosystem as a whole, and I think there are quite a lot of media publications, uh, media companies that are very open to having more and more independent news. Um, I think it's for Google, it's one of those kind of things that they're also playing in the startup space as well. Um, so I think it's that really amazing mix between entrepreneurship, uh, the media space in itself, and, and making sure that we do have that diversity and representation. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Chris, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, it, it's. It's really interesting when you see these big companies like, you know, Google, Facebook are doing it as well. They've got their own uh, fund. You know, there was 52 um, companies that just received funding. And it's it's really interesting seeing these big companies, um, you know, invest in media and, and try to support it. And a lot of what happens on their platforms, you know, has media involved in, in some way. And, you know, if you consider Google, you know, Google News is such a big part of the experience that, all of us have with Google on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, from their perspective, it would make complete sense to try and support the ecosystem that so many users are actually, you know, engaging with every day. Fantastic. Hey, Martin, we're conscious that we're taking you away from another event at the moment um, and we thought we'd, you know, get you to flesh out the big picture first before we we jumped onto Christopher's uh, experience with the defrag and growth through um, this amazing boot camp that you've put on. 
Are there any messages you'd like to, you know, leave our audience with? Can they expect to see another boot camp run this year, for example? Yeah, for us, um, there'll be a couple of different programs that will come to light. And I think it's uh, yeah, not just media itself. There, there are a couple of partnerships that we're working on at the moment. Um, and realistically, the GNI is one of those that we really want to see grow and grow and grow over the next couple of years. So um, anyone that's interested in this space, uh, certainly get in touch. Uh, and if anyone, for us, a really big push is to really break down those barriers for anybody that wants to get into that entrepreneurial scene um, and start working on this. So um, you know, not just being in a certain location, if you're rural, if you're remote, if you're in a city over in different parts of Australia, New Zealand, uh, you can access our digital founders hub and become a part of that community and uh, access learning, uh, education, mentors, perks, uh, and a bunch of those kind of different things that can assist you on your journey. So it's not just the program itself, but uh, you can become involved and, and grow uh, as much as you want from, from day one. It's a pretty appealing offer. Um, thanks so much for speaking to us, uh, Martin. We will uh, tweet out some, some links and whatever, and people can check out your website at fishburners.org. We might go to a break and then come back and hear more from Christopher Lawson about uh, the defrag and the experience with the Google News Initiative boot camps. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Yeah, we've bite into it with Ro Lilly and Vanessa and we're in the middle of a conversation with Christopher Lawson, who's editor of the Defrag and founder of Lawson Media and a recent participant in the Google News Initiative Startups Bootcamp um, held in partnership with Fishburners, who are an amazing organisation helping startups mm-hmm. grow. Chris, is it all right to say Chris? Yeah, that's fine. Perfect. Yeah. Um, because I'm tripping over my words in our first show back after summer. You're doing so any, any syllables I can cut out. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's fine. That's what I go by. So, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Look, a lot of people have heard of the defrag, but for those who haven't, could you please give them a little bit of a rundown of, of who you are and like why you applied for this Google News Initiative bootcamp? Yeah, sure. So the Defrag is a multimedia news publication. So we explore the intersection of tech, science, business and politics. And kind of my inspiration for starting it was like I've been doing podcasting for a number of years now um, through my company and you know, uh, before that, I was I was quite interested um, in my previous media gigs in the podcast ecosystem. And one thing that I've noticed is that there is a lack of technology and startup coverage in this country. We, you know, we get some coverage, but we don't get the level of coverage that you might get from like The Verge and we don't have an equivalent publication of like Vox or anything yeah. like that. We don't have a Y Combinator either, you know, something that's just so business focused. You know, we've got we've got things like Startmate, which um, do really well in trying to fill that gap from like a Y Combinator um, sort of perspective. Um, but when it comes to media publications, you know, we mostly have large, big companies and there's some small Um, independent media but they tend not to focus too much on that sort of tech science intersection um, which is something that we really wanted to focus on and that's sort of why we started the defrag and um, you know applying for for uh, the uh, gni program with fish burners was really about trying to figure out some of the issues with 
taking what um, started as a podcast and we started it as, as a daily podcast last year and then we we're trying to figure out, okay, well, how can we take this from being a podcast into being something that is more of a fully-fledged publication that can be fully financially sustainable? Yeah. yeah. And so in terms of, of how you published with that and, and how you, you've turned it around, what have been the main differences between going from podcast format, um, I can see this like, like text articles, the whole, the whole deal. Um, what's been the biggest challenge for making that shift? Um, and this is an ongoing shift. So mm. we're um, still figuring out like what this looks like in the long term. Um, but the biggest thing was just trying to include more types of audiences. Um, so one of the challenges that you get with podcasting uh, is accessing new audiences can be quite challenging. And starting as a brand new show, um, unless you get a good on-ramp from, you know, getting promoted in a bunch of different different apps, it can be really difficult to build an audience. And most podcasting apps don't have a discovery process to allow you to find new shows um, in an easy way. A lot of the shows are curated, manually curated. Um, so there's no discovery process like YouTube. So YouTube is becoming a really big focus of what um, we're doing for the defrag and will increasingly become so. Um, and we really want to make sure that the content that we're putting out um, is able to find its own audience without us needing to be constantly trying to push it. You know, someone that is interested in in matter, for example, uh, you know, a smart home um, uh, terminology for anyone that's, um, that's sort of interested in smart homes. Uh, if someone that's interested in matter can go to YouTube and search for, you know, what is matter and they might find our video. Um, which is something that is difficult to do in a pure podcast audio-only format. One of the really interesting shifts that I've noticed online, not just in this space but in a lot of spaces over the last couple of years, has been that move from having um, – well, firstly, the move from, you know, more open forums where we were talking to people one-on-one to the platform shift and, and Web2 and all of that. And now we're also seeing a lot more of that uh, move to closed forums and closed spaces like Discord um, as a way of building communities, which I find, you know, valuable in a lot of ways because building a closed community in that sense allows you to be very particular with your audience without having drive-by random people shouting abuse at you, mm. which is nice. It is nice. Um, and on the other <laughs> hand, when <Yes>. you're... <laughs> I love Discord. <laughs> I love it. It's like Discord's such a good platform, yeah. you know, in comparison to something like Twitter, which seems to, you know, over the past couple of months descended into, you know. Bit of fire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And mm. so what, what I wanted to know was a bit more about how you're feeling about Discord, what role that plays in, you know, building the defrag, building that all out, and also what you see as striking that balance between um, something, you know, conversations that happen in a community that are really valuable that are then sort of gated off from future internet searches the way that forums aren't um, mm. and whether that is a resource you think that we're missing out on by putting it behind these walls. So, uh, I mean, I, I love Discord from the perspective of it gives that the audience the feeling that they are really part of everything, you know, that you're doing as a publication. So we've got a, D, a, a Discord for... For the defrag, and you know we're really keen to build that up over time. Um, I'm seeing a lot more toxicity in Twitter, and that's you know mm. a platform that traditionally I've 
been quite active on on Twitter, and I'm less inclined to do that now. I, I you know, I feel less inclined to support billionaires and their, um, you know, side projects. So weird, it, yeah. <laughs> Fancy yeah, that. Yeah, su- surprise, 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 surprise. So it's um, you know, and, and I want the defrag to be a community-led publication. I want to make sure that we're covering stories that our audience cares about. We've had a a pretty active uh, Discord for some of our other podcasts at at Lawson Media, and so we want to make sure that we involve the community as much as possible. Um, And we're already seeing that with with YouTube um, because we're also doing a separate um, accelerator program that is also... um, supported by Google um, through YouTube. And that is really showing us the benefits of YouTube as a community platform. Um, I mean, YouTube's got its own issues with comments and things like that, but it is just such a great platform from for getting really um, immediate feedback to everything that you post. So getting back to the Google News initiative and participating mm-hmm. in that, you know, you were in there with a range of other people also looking yes. at independent media, you know, production. And, you know, you all seem quite strong on the content side. In How organised was the program in terms of like a range of um, learning areas to explore that it took you through? Or did it actually meet each of you where you were and then try and tailor the program to what you needed? Yeah, there was a lot of tailoring the program. So we went in in this. I've been doing um, podcasting now as a company for sort of four to five years. Um, And then going into the program, the defrag, we'd already published 65 to 70 um, episodes of the podcast. And then we're trying to figure that out from a a point of view where we know how podcasting works. We know how to make money from podcasting, but turning that into its own entity is a sort of completely different step. So a lot of what we were doing through the bootcamp is figuring out, okay, well, how can we make that step? And what are the holes in what we're thinking about in terms of business models? Because, you know, there's so many ways that you could fund media and often what happens in the media is we get very focused on particular ways of monetizing, like advertising is such a, you know, traditional form of funding media, Mm. but it's not the best way of funding media. And I don't want to put everything behind a paywall either. And that to me is a problem. So how do you support media if you don't want to focus purely on advertising and you don't want to put everything behind a paywall and make everyone pay because... I hate the experience of paying for everything. I've got so many subscriptions right now. I can't <laughs> afford more subscriptions. So, And I think there's a lot of people that are the same. I guess the other thing I wondered about is, you know, once the program's quite tailored to you, what mm-hmm. sort of opportunities were there to um, collectively learn and share experiences and, and um, you know, even help each other? Right, so we're having group sessions every week. Um, so that that was all the way through the program. And so we got to hear what everyone else is working on. Um, we had a Slack channel set up so that everyone could communicate and, and there was a lot of asking people to update on, you know, what they'd been working on this week, what they're going to focus on in the next week and a lot of accountability. Like that's a big part of the program is accountability. And when you're doing any kind of accelerator program, that that is so important to be able to check in with other people because every other founder, no matter what their stage is, 
they're going to go through the same challenges of figuring out how do you monetize, how do you find audiences, all of these sorts of um, challenges are ones that every media entrepreneur is going to face. And so we were all able to go through that together no matter the stage that we were at. And I guess the other thing about, you know, being in this collective experience, it's amazing getting uh, invested in and, and feeling supported on this journey. But did people have really different success measures depending on, you know, who they were and what they were trying to do? And Oh, yeah, abso- absolutely. So, you know, for some people, the success measure might just be launching the publication. Um, and for us, it's the success measure is, okay, well, how can we, how can we monetize this audience? Or how can we get you know, X number of email subscribers. Um, and so everyone had a different metric and, you know, it, it was good to be able to try and like figure out what metric made the most sense for, for each of us. And we had mentoring sessions as well every week, one-on-one with, um, with individual mentors. And, you know, there was a lot of like tearing up preconceived ideas and trying to figure out, yeah, what do we, what do, we do, do next and how do we go forward and what's a plan for the next you know, six months and 12 Mm. months. We spoke a little bit earlier about the way that, you know, it's great for Google to be able to invest back in these things, particularly at a local community level as well. Um, One thing that's been really interesting with the way that Google's relationship with the media has worked out in this country recently has been, you know, the the stranglehold they have on on a lot of it in many cases um, around what we see online and how how that plays out. There's also, I think, an interesting interplay there with the way that um, the way that you need to advertise yourself online and the uh, the influence that Google has on online advertising as well as on YouTube. And I wanted to know a bit more about whether that got addressed through the program, um, whether that's something that you yourself have sort of had a, had to think about how you do that as a strategy, and whether it's also something that you see an opportunity to shift and change. Yeah, so there wasn't there wasn't a huge focus on that throughout the program, um, but you know it is something that I pay a lot of attention to because you know there are so many conversations happening at a political level and you know around the media and you know around advertising and you know should people be rewarded for essentially having links clicked on through a search engine? Like, let's be honest, that's that's what a lot of um, the media legislation you know has been over the past couple of years. And we're now seeing that roll out around the world. So I think there's some very real questions that big tech companies have to have to reckon with, um, you know. And I'd love to see other tech giants. Like, if we're going to have this legislation, you know, why not include companies like Twitter in the legislation mm-hmm. as well? Um, and you know, I think there are a lot of active discussions that need to happen around advertising in the media. And you know, yeah, when it comes to Google, I mean, they are really trying to help um, the media ecosystem, but you could also be cynical and say, well, okay, well, you are trying to, you know, help because uh, you need to, you know, sort well, you of save face. Off this. Yeah, yeah, you profit well, off it. Yeah. Yeah. Google, yeah. Google's also, you know, 12 companies in a trench coat. One part of Google can be doing something <laughs> while another part of Google is doing something else entirely. And, yes. you Ab- know. Absolutely. You know, it, there are tens of thousands of staff that work at a company like that and, you know, there are all these different ecosystems and it's very possible at, at one of these companies to have, an ecosystem that is really supporting um, media entrepreneurs and another section that, you know, is is focused on other um, sorts of potential problems. But, you know, it's, 
Yeah, it, it is a pretty challenging time, I think, for media everywhere. Mm. Um, and I would just love to see more entrepreneurs, you know, try to take that step of, you know, yeah. focusing more globally. We've been speaking with Christopher Lawson, who's editor of The Defrag, which you can check out at thedefrag.com. He's founder of Lawson Media, participant in the um, Google News Initiative startup book camp, the first one that's happened in Australia New Zealand. So great news for our region. Uh, Chris, if you want to stick around, we are actually going to talk about, um, you know, retrenchments at massive tech companies, which you just sort of almost touched on there with the (laughs) the thousands of employees at Google. Anyway, we might hear just a fraction more from you. You're with Bite Into It with Ro, Lily and Vanessa, and I've almost warmed up with, you know, a little bit of the show to go. Uh, We wanted to say we've also still got one of our guests hanging around with us just because he's that good and uh, we thought we could use the extra expertise. So Christopher Lawson's still with us us. And we wanted to talk a little bit about the other major piece of news that has happened while we've been off the air, which is that tech companies are laying off people left, right and centre, especially in the United States where employment laws permit them to do that en masse without much recourse for any other workers who are being let go. But also... They seem to really be doing it in very large numbers. It was 12,000 at Google the other week, however many thousand at Microsoft. Everybody's Tons at Facebook. Yeah, everybody mm. seems to be to be getting in on this. And, yeah. It's, I think it's worth talking about some of the other names that are, like, you know, not in that tier but that are still huge employers um, like Qualtrics. You know, a lot of people mm. use that survey tool. Carter and Verily. Um, yeah, it's, you know, Confluent, SAP, um, IBM. Uh, Reddit, you know, it's Spotify, Gemini, there's a ton, Uber Freight. Mm. Great time to work in tech. <laughs> yeah, well, and this Vox is... Vox Media. Mm. Mm. <laughs> this this mm. thing, too, where um, the, you know, the layoffs, we've been hearing about this, oh, there's a recession coming for, for many, many months now. There were some layoffs last year, um, Twitter being the outlier for very different reasons, but... <laughs> But there are certainly more, and what's been very interesting about these has been just how transparent it's been that the reason for a lot of these layoffs has come at the you know from the result of of um, hedge fund managers and stockholders and things like that, where where we're talking about um, interest rates going up and trying to make the bottom line look healthier yeah. and just not look so like we're deep in the hole with all these wages mm. we've got to pay. These and- companies turning massive profits that could afford to continue to pay them and make less of a profit, still a profit, yeah. but you know, line go up. So it's been nice to see the occasional tech CEO taking a pay cut instead of um, mm-hmm. slashing staff. Absolutely. Nice to see uh, Apple haven't yet had any cuts, <laughs> but how long can they hold out? We don't know, but well done for now. Yeah, I, I mean, am... I suppose when you've got, you know, hundreds of millions and billions in the bank, it, what's it matter? Like you can keep as many people as you want, right? Oh, well, exactly. Yeah, and I, and I do wonder how many were... I guess, a little bit emboldened strategically by Twitter doing what they did with their mass layoffs, um, you know, which were, let's face it, completely knee-jerk at the time. Um, but also even though Twitter has become, you know, buggy and frustrating and all of that kind of stuff, um, it still hasn't completely collapsed, which a lot of people, you know, Twittergeddon hasn't quite happened. So has it emboldened some of these companies to just go, let's well, do it? There was some analysis, I think it was the Harvard 
Business Review a little while back where they were saying, look, honestly, a lot of it is like lemmings. One of the companies sees other companies doing this and mm. like, oh, well, we better make some cuts as well. Which is why it's great to read The Insider at the moment who have an article about the, the major tech companies who haven't announced any layoffs yet. And they're talking about Cloudflare and Apple and HubSpot and Block and Broadcom and AMD. And so it's, you know, it goes on, but it is exciting and it will be interesting to see what happens there. Um, please don't take that exciting in the context of people's real jobs, which I care about deeply. But, you know, it is an interesting time to see people challenging that narrative about, you know, do 100%. we actually have to contract to succeed in this environment? Yeah, and shout out to all of the Australians working for some of these companies who are watching this happen to their colleagues in the US and mm. wondering what happens when the, you know, the Australian laws make it permissible for this kind of thing At to happen. Will, yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm, at will firing, which is just, you know. Yeah, well, clearly here, you know, you have to give more notice than that. So yeah. it's a matter of working out, you know, corporate strategies, I suppose. But mm. I know that there are quite a few people kind of hanging out, waiting to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even um, I know there's some cases in Ireland where some of the people laid off by Twitter in that first big push, uh, pursuing it through the courts because mm. American mm. labour laws just don't apply over there. I'm- but you're purely in growth mode, right, Chris? Well, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> always in always in growth mode. That's uh, that's the motto of every startup, right? <laughs> Love it. Always away. It's nice to have some contrast there. And that's that's the thing. There will be a lot of opportunities for the startup sector at this time with all these plum employees with amazing skills kicking around, you yep. know, looking for some purposeful employment on the next gig. Yeah, mm-hmm. and look, maybe this is a great opportunity. Um, they're going to have a ton of ideas of their own, so we might well mm-hmm. see a few micro businesses with some very cool innovations doing their thing, um, you know, Awful situation, but there might be a little bit of a silver lining there. So. We are yeah. already seeing that. You know, um, we are seeing competitors to Twitter that are springing up from you know love it. staff <laughs> that were axed from Twitter by email. So, you know, yeah. there's a lot of new startups that are going to happen in the coming months from all of these employees. Yeah, yeah. You and we are certainly not worried about a lack of things to cover in the coming weeks. <laughs> There is a lot happening. There's a yeah. lot happening. Um, speaking of a lot happening, events are starting to kick off for the year. Ro, what is coming up? Okay, so Vic ICT for Women, uh, which is a really terrific organisation here in Melbourne, um, they've got their first event for the year, um, eliminating the gender pay gap. They've got um, some really cool people from um, the banking sector and the tech side of the fence having a chat Wednesday 15th of Feb uh, from 5.30 to 7.30pm at ANZ in Docklands. You can get your tickets if you go to vicictforwomen.com.au in their events section. Now, there has been one conspicuous topical absence from our show this evening, and that is ChatGPT. We want to uh, let you know that that is intentional, and Byte will be interviewing some people about ChatGPT next week, so do stick around for that. Big thank you to our guests this evening on our first show back for 2023. We had Martin Carafilis, the CEO of Fishburners, and Christopher Lawson, editor of The Defrag. Thanks so much, both of you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thanks to my wonderful co-hosts, Ro and Lily. Epic. So good to be in studio with you again. Likewise. (laughs) Thanks to the beautiful and beloved Talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, whose birthday it is. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Ooh, happy birthday, Elizabeth. And to our stalwart podcaster, Carrie Smythe, hope we have you back this year. We'll know after this episode <laughs> we'll goes up. We'll soon find out. <laughs> we really appreciate your work. Hey, we've been bite into it and uh, we'll be back next Wednesday evening with more of the crew. Stay tuned for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Crew. Up next. 
Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.